When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. What does every grocery store aisle now have in common? Products that come in paper packaging. And we don't just mean the obvious ones like cereal boxes and juice cartons. From beauty products to boxed water, there are more opportunities to go paper-tarian than ever before. So why should you? Because paper comes from a renewable resource and can be recycled up to seven times. Simply put, it's the smart choice for the environment. And it turns out, the easiest choice for you. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. What do the most successful growing businesses have in common? They're working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. All right, then. we are back with part two of the Dodge Story here on Car Stuff. Yes, and Scott, we are excited to do this because there are some major twists that happened at this point. Yeah, that's right. Remember we left off, it was, uh, what, 1915, uh-huh. right? And uh, their workforce had just blown up. Just enormous, right? Something yeah. like seven thousand workers. Right. Uh, the car production numbers were way, way up. Yeah, forty-five thousand plus uh, at, at their single plant in the nineteen fifties. And this rapid expansion, you know, this, this happened uh, you know, for fourteen years. Right. From, from that tiny little shop where they were building uh, bicycles and bearings. Mm-hmm. That? Yeah. All right. So this is a, uh, a company that was just huge, just growing exponentially, right? And uh, they're there at Ham at the Hamtramck plants building their their own Dodge brand vehicles at this point, right? So they had, they were building the uh, the Dodge Model Thirty in 1914, and um, Henry Ford decided at some point in 1916 that um, well he just knew that you know his profit the profits from his company, uh, you know how well the Ford brand was doing, right? W- was bankrolling uh, the Dodge brothers because you remember they had they still had a 10% share of the Ford Motor Company. Right. And up to that point they also had contracts to supply Ford with parts. Mm-hmm. That's right. And so the the uh you know the dividends, the parts, all that all that combined were paying in the millions to the Dodge brothers at this time and mm-hmm. you know that's uh, that's allowing them to continue their production, right? And they're just gaining contract after contract, right? Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a very interesting contract to me that i really hadn't heard of until just now yes there is a interesting thing here and um i want to get to that but let's also sew up the part where the dodge brothers take henry ford to court oh yes you know what i skipped over i'm sorry because i think we mentioned it earlier too it seems like we're jumping a couple years in advance and you know what there's here's another little tiny side note here and i don't know if this listener is listening or not um hopefully okay years ago ben we had a request. I mean, talking like two, three years ago. Okay. We had a request via email from somebody who wanted to hear about the uh, the court case that we're just about to mention here. And I think they wanted an entire podcast on it, of course, but this is kind of like a, a mention, I guess. We're not going to really get deep into it here. However, um, and I don't remember that listener's name. I apologize because, again, it was years ago. I couldn't even mm-hmm. find the email in my, in my uh, yeah. So, again, I'm sorry for that, but uh, this is the court case. 
Henry Ford decided in 1916 that he was going to stop paying dividends to all shareholders. He decided that, you know, I'm just not going to do it because that, that benefits the Dodge brothers. However, it hurt him the most because he owns 51% of the stock <laughs> of his own, his own company, right? Right. Yeah. So the money he would, he would get back on his own. He's, he's losing a lot of money, millions and millions and millions of dollars in 1916. Yeah. And, uh, so the Dodge brothers decided that's not going to really fly because you can't just decide that, you know, after we've had this contract. And, uh, they did take him to court. Right. And they brought a suit eventually. He was uh, forced by the courts to pay a dividend of slightly over. You ready for this? Yeah. Slightly over nineteen million dollars. Nineteen million dollars in nineteen eighteen. By 19, the time that happened. Oh, nineteen eighteen. Okay, so because um, it was in court for a while. I have done the uh, I have done the calculation here. Oh man! And I actually did it for nineteen nineteen because I think that was when the final ruling came down. Okay. So nineteen point three million dollars, which is the uh, the amount that they were awarded in nineteen nineteen. Is equivalent, Ben. Okay. $272,596,709.09. That is enormous. I mean, think about that. In 1916, you suddenly have this windfall of, of, you know, nearly $300 million in 1919. I am, I am, rendered speechless by that just amount of money. And that's just the one judgment. Now, remember, they had been, profiting on this all along so they're they're right. getting huge huge checks these are just back dividends that they were owed this is what was this is what the contract was was owing them so mm-hmm. it's not like you know they're they're extorting money out of ford or anything no. like that and all along they've been getting checks like this so these guys are extremely extremely wealthy the company is extremely profitable and this all stems from that ten thousand dollar loan that they gave henry ford back in 1903 yeah, it's almost picking up the quality of a fable or something because that's not the last, uh, the last that Ford has to pay them. He buys out the remaining shareholders. Ah, yes, we tried to. Tried and to. And he was unsuccessful. He, he, uh, he was, this is kind of funny. This is a, uh, this is a classic, uh, Henry classic, Ford, right? This, yeah. it really is. He, uh, <laughs> there's this whole scheme that he gets involved with that he's to avoid paying back uh, future dividends, right? So he, right. he sees like, all right, I've lost this $19.3 million. Uh, uh, it's a little skin off my back, but I'm going to avoid paying any future dividends to the Dodge brothers by, uh, by retiring. So he decides to retire in night. This is a grand scheme, uh, scheme, right? Yeah. It's a long con. He decides to retire in, uh, I think it was in late 18 or no, sorry, 1918. And he's going to turn over the control of the company to his son Edsel, right? Which he actually did. Yeah. And then Ford goes on a um, an extended vacation, you know, like a, I don't know how long, months long or whatever. Just kind of he he goes away, you know. After this point, Edsel's running the company. Well, in 1919, I guess early 1919, uh, there's a story that comes out of the Los Angeles Examiner that says that Ford is organizing another company to build a cheaper, mass-produced car on a great scale that will sell for just two hundred and fifty dollars. Now. $250? Come on. I mean, can you believe it? Now, his first car was selling, you know, the Model A yeah. was selling for $850 back in 1903. Mm-hmm. Now we jump ahead to 1919 and he's going to build a car that sells for $250. People would be all over that. I mean, if you do the calculation, that's in, in 2014, that would be like a manufacturer saying that we're going to sell a brand new car to you for $3,531. Sold. That's extremely cheap. And so the, the idea was to put the Dodge brothers out of business, right? 
Yeah, it's definitely got the the air of a vendetta. Yeah, it definitely does. So just after this announcement in 1919, you know, this uh, this this um, article that comes out in the L.A. Examiner, um, the Dodge brothers, along with the other minority shareholders, which you mentioned, you know, the other small shareholders, yeah, uh, found themselves mysteriously approached by somebody who wanted to purchase their Ford shares, right? Yeah, or their Ford stock, and of course they see right through this whole thing. You know, they know exactly what's going on. That you know that. They're, they're, they know that Ford is behind this whole thing, right? It's, it's a scam. Yeah. So what they do is they decide that they're going to open bidding on their Ford stock. They're going to get rid of it anyways, right? And so they say, we've got 10% of the Ford Motor Company. Let the bidding begin. And the bidding <laughs> began, um, somewhere around $7,500 per share, right? Yeah. But they held out until they received $12,500 per share and get this pen. That equals $25 million is what they sold that 10% yeah. stake in the company for. So, so they sold their 10% stock in Ford for $25 million in 1919. I mean, this is almost impossible to believe that, that amount of money and, and played the game so well, you know? Yeah. And the Dodge brothers, at and, least. And here's how well they played it, Ben. You know, this whole thing, I mean, when you, when you think about this $25 million that they got from their Ford stock, and then, you know, the, uh, the $10 million in dividends that Ford paid them from 1903 to 1909, and then that windfall again in, uh, in, in 1919, uh, 1919, 19, 18, yeah, yeah, for, for the additional 19.3 million. Right. All of this combined, it comes out to something like, you know, a $200 million venture for them out of that $10,000 investment. Now, Looking back on this, the, the Dodge they say that the Dodge brothers made so much money from their dealings with Ford that business historians now refer to this whole thing, this uh, this whole transaction, as probably the most profitable investment in our his, in the history of American commerce ever. Wow! I mean, that's today. I mean, even to date, you know, as far as uh, you know, when you extrapolate what it would be worth now versus mm-hmm. what it was worth then, yeah. and, and the, the dollar amounts that we're talking about, it's just it, it's it was that big of a deal. Even then, it still is, isn't it? I mean, even in comparison to startup success stories. I mean, I guess so. Yeah, and you know, this is where it takes a, a little bit of a dark turn, I guess. Ben, the, the whole Dodge story takes a dark turn. Now, they're very, very successful. The company has done exactly what they wanted it to, but it's been a relatively short run for them. Uh, that's true. And uh, just, I, I'm sorry, Scott, and I'm sorry, listeners. We've been, I know, we've been jumping around in time, but there are a couple of cool side things that I have to tell you about before we get to this moment sure okay so uh just some other amazing cool things that happened uh dodge got a reputation uh as a military vehicle of sorts in 1916 uh when the u.s government launched an expedition against a mexican bandit named pancho villa a war correspondent named uh ahe beckett uh published several reports in uh motor age talking about how Dodge cars were being used in the campaign. So after there have been some surprise raids, uh, in particular one led by a Lieutenant Patton, uh, the Brigadier General Pershing, who was commanding the force there, ordered his staff to use Dodge cars exclusively, and then he requested 250 more Dodges for this Mexican campaign, and then... During the war years, he took these cars with him to France. Interesting. So they got a reputation as being a military vehicle at some point, right? Right. And that's one of the things that really uh, also 
drove their popularity. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? It wasn't the only military vehicle that they built because uh, the this is another side note. I'm going to piggyback on your side note yeah. with another side note. Right. Um, this happened concurrently, Ben. So, so I mean, it happened in 1918. So, you know, we're we're in the middle of World War One, and uh, this is when the Dodge brothers built their first truck. Now, when I say the first truck. And you're going to have to go back and listen to our podcast on uh, trucks and the history of trucks right. and, you know, the first truck and all that. But it wasn't really a truck. It was a panel van. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. All right. So 1918, the Dodge Brothers build this panel van. And it's, I guess, unlike other vehicles at the time, it's a it's a half-ton capacity, 35-horsepower, four-cylinder truck. And this was a half-ton capacity, 35-horsepower, four-cylinder truck. And, you know, this is, uh, we call it a truck. We keep saying that. It had a lot of different purposes, a lot of uses on the battlefield. So yeah. during World War One, um, you know, it could be used for many different things. It was a utility vehicle. It could transport troops. It could be an ambulance. There uh, was not really much of a limit to what it could do. Exactly right. And, you know, around 1918, that's still pretty early on in, uh, in I guess, pickup truck history, really. Yeah. Because around 1921, uh, the Graham brothers were building trucks. Now, the Graham brothers will tie in at the end here, I promise. Uh, we'll, we'll tell you how they, they get into the fold. But um, the Graham brothers were already building actual pickup trucks, I think, at this point. And it wasn't until 1929 that the Dodge Brothers uh, Merchant Express half-ton pickup was built. Mm-hmm. And this was actually the first Dodge pickup truck um, that was built by Chrysler Corporation. And, again, that will tie in as we go go along yep. here. And, I, you know, I, I've got so many notes on top of notes here. I'll just go ahead and mention it, and I know we'll get to the, the historical part of this whole thing, Ben. Yeah. But, but I want to point out that that 1929 Dodge Brothers Merchant Express was actually the last truck that was designed by the old Dodge Brothers company. So ah, uh, and here we go. A little foreshadowing. Yeah. So there's a there's a tie into other three three other things here that I want to mm-hmm. get to, but we will in just a minute because again I mentioned we're we're taking a dark turn here. So here we are in 1920, Ben. January 14th. That's right. Early 1920, and uh, while attending the 1920 New York Auto Show, Horace fell ill with pneumonia, mm-hmm. and you got to put yourself back at that time, right? Pneumonia is a is it practically fatal disease i mean it clearly is a fatal disease at that time right yeah it's dangerous uh, sometimes sure. it still is but even more so back then it seems like if anybody got a scratch back then it was, a, <laughs> it, was a, it was a fatal mistake right so um you know medicine wasn't exactly what it what it is now mm-hmm. so pneumonia was a really really serious deal back then john of course rushed to his brother's bedside where he sat for several days i guess you know a vigil almost really but yeah. you know, not knowing what's going to happen john catches pneumonia himself and then dies just 10 days later of it. So yep. Horace hangs on for uh, several more months. I mean, I think Horace eventually died um, in December of 1920. So, right. boy, he had that for a long, long time, like, you know, 11 months he's battling this. And he um, died on December 10th. Okay, so December 10th, right? So this is, it is, again, it's it's like 11 months later. Yeah. Um, John died, you know, 10 days after he caught pneumonia. So, you know, the two brothers passed away the same year, few months apart but uh but what a tragic end to this whole thing huh yeah well it's it's the end of the brothers perhaps but not the company that's exactly right because you know who was left behind their wives you know scott that's a really good point we haven't mentioned either of their spouses yeah john's wife uh her name was matilda so matilda dodge and horace's wife her name was anna thompson dodge mm-hmm. so um you know these women are now finding themselves uh you know sole owners of 
this enormous corporation, right? I mean, this, right. this, well, several hundred, a, a company worth several hundred million dollars, they've just inherited this within one year. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go Papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash Papertarian. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. The fourth largest automaker in the United States yeah, at that time, It's right? incredible. Yeah, I mean, now, okay, at the time of their deaths, you know, the, the company had an actual worth of $60 million, but the two brothers... They had a, a net worth, or, or I'm sorry, a, yeah, net worth of about roughly 100 million dollars each. And again, this is in the 20s. So, what do you what what what's a good way to, for us to think about this today? Well, I'll tell you. I mean, 100 million dollars. The the way that we should think about this is that back then, when you had 100 million dollars, they actually broke it down this way. They broke it down that uh, this is actually a fairly decent percentage of the entire U.S. gross national product. That's how big this wow. is. Wow. So they each had a percentage of the entire gross national product for the United States at that time. I mean, it's a, it's that's how big this company was at that time. Can't take it with you, though. Huge, huge. That's exactly right. You can't. So the wives decide to hold on to the company. So they're running, they're running the Dodge Brothers company at this time, right? And finally, they decided to sell about four years later. Right. Yeah. In uh, 1925, they sell the Dodge Brothers company to an investment bank. Mm -hmm. That's right. So they sold it to um, a firm called Dillon Reed and Company, and they sold it for one hundred and forty six million dollars. Ben, one hundred and forty six million dollars. Now, oh, my God. I said it was worth about 60 million in 19, uh, what, 1920. Right. Right. They sold it for one hundred and forty six million in 1925. That is equivalent. Ben, this is huge. 
<laughs> you ready for this number? I don't, I don't know, if, know if I am. I don't know if I'm even ready to read this number. This is amazing. One billion nine hundred sixty-six million seven hundred seventy-one thousand nine hundred seven dollars in two thousand fourteen dollars. So the equivalent of a nearly two billion dollar deal is going down in nineteen twenty-five. Now two billion dollars, and again, this is this is just before the depression, right? So right. you know, this is uh, the, the company or the country is still prospering we're doing well and everything but this is excessive this is amazing at the time ben you got to remember this this was the largest financial transaction ever yeah not there's not really a qualifier for it no nothing like this had ever happened before you know we should also mention that uh the dodge families did have children or heirs yes so the inheritance uh carried on uh from this but they were they were not able to uh, manage the firm after their father's deaths. Uh, so that's why it kind of fell to the widows. That's a question that some people might have, you know, because we know that Ford, for instance, passed the company on to his son, and that usually happens. But in this case, it did not happen. Well, but the legacy here, Ben, is something else. There's uh, there's real estate involved, and I'll tell you about that as we go yeah, along here. Yeah. And, and there's uh, there's some tie-in to the Detroit area that, mm-hmm. uh, that we can talk about in just a minute because there, there's a, a, a critical piece of property there that I think we should talk about. That's true. We should also uh, we should also say that the the bankers Dylan Reed and company held uh, the the Dodge property, the Dodge name, uh, for three years. And then they sold it to another cameo. And made a nice little appearance. handsome profit, I guess, on this one, didn't oh, they, right? That's right, uh, yeah. Pretty big, I would say. Um, so they, they held on to it until 1928, right? Yep. In 1928, Dylan Reed and company sold Dodge to Walter P. Chrysler. Right. And uh, let's get our first number, $146 million, That's what they bought it for. Yeah. And they sold it for? $170 million. And again, that's in 1928. So... If we want to do the uh, the inflation calculation again, yeah, in 2014 dollars, that would be two billion two hundred ninety million seventy six thousand eight hundred seventy eight dollars and sixty one cents. Wow, that is a big number. And your calculation is on fire today, my friend. I did that all in my head. Yeah, I could tell. Yeah, uh, you guys, Scott and I talk about notes because we don't want to freak you out, but Scott just has all of this uh, <laughs> at the tip of your tongue, right? Yeah, there's no notes. I mean, it's like a, a the, the greatest filing system ever in my in my head, right? <laughs> yeah, it uh, it makes me think just a little bit of Hannibal Lecter's Memory Palace. Uh, yes. Are you a fan of those books? I am. Yes. yes. So okay, sorry, that's uh, that's derailing. Let's talk about someone who is not a serial killer. Walter P. Chrysler is, in fact, a serial saver of businesses. I can't believe you just put that together. That was uh well done. Oh, thanks well man. Done. Uh third take. I don't know if I've ever heard the word serial killer Walter P. Chrysler in the same sentence when you're not really calling him that. Yeah. Yeah, cuz most of the time people are apparently calling No, him no, that's not what I meant. I meant uh, I don't think those two phrases or terms have ever been together. Yeah, uh, likely. Well, Anyways, that's all right. just a uh, all, right. all right. We got to move on. We have to cuz we're on. we're digging a hole. So uh all right, so <laughs> So a, he he rescues businesses. So here's the thing. He buys this. He spends, you know, $2.2 billion, you know, equivalent, I guess, $170 million in, 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 uh, 1928, just before the Great Depression, right? Mm-hmm. And you would think, like, oh, no, this is bad news for Dodge. This is the end of the story, right? Well, we know better, of course, you know, because they're still around. But, you know, of course, Walter P., he held strong. And, uh, I mean, I can't believe it. How do you hold on to an investment that you, uh, you just unloaded, like, you know, that much money for? 
and then the crash happens. And uh, yeah. I mean, that says something. You know, he he believed in the brand. He held on to it. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there were cuts in other parts of the company. And I'm sure if you dug into the history of Chrysler, you'd find out what exactly those were, because things did go away right. during the Depression, of course. Mm-hmm. But uh, but Dodge was not one. It it held strong. So if you want to follow the the quick and and dirty progression of this whole thing, yeah, you know the wives held the company. They had the um, you know the Dodge Brothers company. Uh, then they sold it to uh, you know the bank. Yep. The bank Dylan then, Reed and company. Bank held on to it for three years and then sold it to Chrysler. So you know by 1928, Chrysler is holding Dodge the Dodge brand, and they still have it today. And it's a lot of work for him to do this because, uh, let's see, we'll explore this in, in a couple of different ways. It might jump around in time real quick. But during those three years that uh, the bankers, Dylan Reed and company, owned it, they had some major missteps. Really? Yeah, because, uh, you know, Dodges are thought of as vehicles used in expeditions you know they've been down to mexico they're in the museum of natural history central asiatic expedition and stuff um but the people who are running it during the banking years and again there was only three years they wanted to make it a luxury line Mm. with appropriate prices um so the the fact i have here is in 1928 for example ford's model a was selling for 495 and the lowest price Dodge was selling for eight ninety five, mm. and the more expensive versions would sell for as much as two grand. Whoa, so thousand dollars. So the sales declined, of course, because people aren't just on the the market at that point is not big enough uh, for people who would buy a two thousand dollar car from Dodge. So Walter has his work set out for him. Uh, there's a neat observation here in um, one of the. One of the accounts I found uh, mentions an observer describing Chrysler's purchase of Dodge as the minnow swallowing the whale, uh, which I thought was interesting because, you know, again, Dodge is so huge at this time. Well, but, you know, Walter, he had, as you mentioned, Ben, we talked about this. He had saved a couple of companies already, right? He, yep. Willie's Overland, right? Uh-huh. But at the same time, you know, when the Dodge brothers were owned by, um, I guess it would be the bank at this point, in 1925 yeah. or 1926, the Dodge brothers bought Graham Brothers. Out so so they owned that and then Chrysler also bought another company right what what was that one oh uh Maxwell Motor Car Company okay so there's all this buying and selling going on that's not something that's just happened you know recently because you know mm-hmm. we've seen a lot of turnover in the auto industry recently but this has right. been going on from the very beginning and you remember the attrition rate of of uh, the U S car companies back then you remember there were hundreds oh yeah of car companies that that came and went some were overnight some didn't even produce a car some produced <laughs> one. Right. Some produced 10, some produced 1,000. Uh, most didn't make it, obviously. If you use paper, you're a human. But if you choose paper, you're a papertarian. Someone who lives a paper-based lifestyle because it has a positive impact on the planet. And also because it's the easiest choice you'll make all day. Seriously. It's as easy as reaching for boxed instead of bottled water. It's as easy as opting for beauty products that come in paper packaging. It's as easy as grabbing eggs in a cardboard container. And that's all in one trip to the grocery store, which, if we're being honest, you were planning to go to anyway. But paper isn't just an easy choice. Papertarians know that it's the smart choice, too. Because paper comes from trees, a renewable and sustainably managed resource. And paper products are designed to be recycled. In fact, when you choose products that come in paper-based packaging, those fibers can go on to be recycled up to seven times. So why wouldn't you go papertarian? I'll wait. Learn more at howlifeunfolds.com slash papertarian. 
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, uh, the success stories are rare. Yeah, well, it's Ford, Chrysler, GM. Right, yeah. Really, I mean, really, that's the ones that, that came out big out of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we're seeing a couple of these play together right now. And one little, I guess, interesting side note, Ben, I guess, that when yeah. Chrysler acquired Dodge, he now had access to three different truck lines. And this is kind of interesting, right? So what would he do with these three different truck lines? And there's one in here that maybe a lot of our listeners haven't even heard of. All right, so he's got the Dodge Brothers Company right now, which is making uh, light trucks, right, yep. at the time. Yep. He's got the Graham Brothers, which we just mentioned that Dodge had purchased, right? And the Graham Brothers were building, um, I guess they were building kind of medium and heavy-duty trucks. And so they were being built and marketed by Dodge since about 1921, these, these Graham Brothers trucks. And then he also had another one that I don't think a lot of people have heard of. This is a commercial truck line that Chrysler owned back in the early 1920s. And I'm sorry, in the late 1920s. And it was um, Fargo Trucks. There was a Fargo truck brand that Chrysler owned. And uh, they did commercial vehicles again. Oh, so, uh, wait. Yeah, you're right. Mm-hmm. So he's got access now. Chrysler has access to three different brands of, of trucks, of, of lines of trucks. So, you know, I mean, I guess there's a chance. I mean, he loved what, you know, the, the Dodge Brothers were doing with their vehicle and, you know, had mm-hmm. done with the Graham Brothers, I guess. But I suppose if you want to look at it this way, you know, people could be driving around in a uh, in a Fargo Ram truck. No, not a Fargo Ram. <laughs> I guess it would be a, well, maybe it would be. Maybe a Fargo Ram truck. <laughs> be kind of weird. That would be That would be a little bit weird, but maybe it just sounds weird to us. Right now, I guess, and you know they were the commercial end, so you know it makes sense that he stuck with the Dodge Brothers and the Gram. It could be a Gram, a Gram Ram, Gram Ram. Yeah. I think that's a little more fun, especially to try to say it three times fast. Uh, Chrysler overnight becomes one of the top car companies in the United States and therefore the world in terms of supply, in terms of reach, in terms of visibility. Mm-hmm. That's right, and. Uh, when we look at the Chrysler years, uh, we see some of uh, Walter Chrysler's trusted associates coming back in to work with him. Um, 
the new management team that happens the day after the sale is headed by K.T. Keller, uh, who was the master mechanic for Buick under Chrysler. Mm-hmm. And uh, he also was vice president in charge of manufacturing for a time. Uh, and he moved up and he was very, very good at his job. So effective, in fact, there's a little, neat little factoid about him, uh, that he streamlined production at the Dodge main plant uh, to the point where there was enough floor space after he spent three months just cleaning. There was enough floor space to put the DeSoto division in there. Whoa. Yeah. That's uh, that's a guy I need to have come over to my garage and organize things because uh, I've got a problem going on in my garage. There's way too much, uh, you know lost space is it is it junk or is it stuff you can't throw it's away one giant car that's for one thing and, then, uh, <laughs> and it's also a bunch of junk too yeah it's stuff that uh, i've got to organize but enough yeah. to fit the entire desoto division into the factory after he just organized it that's, yeah that's incredible that's a that's a cool fact yeah that is uh but we what we see with this of course is you know later later he uh the management is taken over by L.L. Colbert, who is the vice president of Dodge in 1935, president 10 years later. And then later he moves up to be the corporate, the Chrysler Corporation president in 1950. So, uh, again, although the brothers themselves uh, may have passed away. And if you think about it, and you alluded to this earlier, Scott, one of the most astonishing things about the Dodge brothers is the the short amount of time that they were active and the tremendous amount of innovation and influence they welded. Yeah, that's right. That's right. These guys only lived to, you know, mid fifties, I guess, you know, uh, yeah, 55, 55 and what 52, I think for, yeah. for Horace. So mm-hmm. they were relatively young. I mean, too young to die, obviously, but, um, but they did in unfortunate circumstances and, um, but the, the legacy that these guys have left behind. I mean, everybody knows the Dodge brand. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's more to it than just that, Ben. I mean, there's also uh, Meadowbrook Hall, which is left behind in uh, in Rochester Hills, Michigan. And uh, if you don't know about Meadowbrook Hall, I would suggest take a look at a few photos of this. And and this was a home or an estate, I guess, that was built uh, by one of the widows of the Dodge brothers. This was um, John Francis Dodge's widow who built this along with um, her, her new lumber broker husband, Alfred Wilson. So it was kind of the uh, the Dodge Wilson home, I guess, if you want to call it that. But it's called Meadowbrook Hall. It was built on Meadowbrook Farms. Mm-hmm. So there was this huge estate. I think it's like um, uh, 14,000 acres is this estate. It has a, you know, uh, well, now it houses a university, which they donated it to. Uh, I think in 1957, they donated it mm-hmm. to um, Oakland University. And Oakland University is housed on this estate, as is a, a huge golf course. Uh, this, of course, the mansion, the original farmhouse that was there, this white farmhouse that you can still see from the road there that was uh, on the property to begin with. And it's called one of America's castles. This is how impressive this place ah, is. Okay. And it is on the U.S. Register of Historic Places. It was placed on there around 1979. And then recently, in 2012, it was actually la- named as a U.S. National Historic Landmark. So this is a, uh, a significant home, I guess, as far as U.S. history goes. Um, it's 110 rooms, 88,000 square feet. And the only reason that I'm really kind of focused on this, Ben, it's an impressive place, and, of course, it has a tie into the Dodge history as well. Yeah. But this is where I would go to see those Concours events when I would go. Ah, okay. And the Concours shows were the ones that uh, they're no longer there. They stopped holding them in 2010 at this uh, at this venue. But this was the Concours d'Elegance of America, and it was held for 32 years on 
the historic Meadowbrook Hall grounds. So Ooh. out on the golf course, this is where this would happen. And, you know, you could take tours of the building and everything else that went along with it. But it was a perfect setting for something like that. And, again, this Matilda Dodge Wilson home was like the perfect backdrop for this whole thing to go down. I mean, the the uh, the carriage house-style garages that they had, you know, it looked like, to me, it looked like they had 100 garage spaces, you know, for vehicles <laughs> there. But it wasn't that many. I don't remember. Maybe 30, something like that. And just everything that goes along with that, you know, the, the high walls and the, the green golf course and the uh-huh. beautiful vehicles and everything. It was just a perfect, perfect place to go. And they've uh, they've changed the venue. Now it's held in Plymouth, Michigan, which is, right. I'm sure, an equally nice setting and everything else. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just have a, a familiarity with the Meadowbrook Hall and the Meadowbrook Farms property. That's all. Right. So we are going to wrap this up with, uh, Scott, if if I can, just one, one more note uh, on my end. The Dodge Company has expanded from a bicycle shop to something that outlived its creators and now has spread around the world. Ladies and gentlemen, from Argentina to Asia to Australia and Europe, you can find a Dodge vehicle. And I think it is one of the most amazing success stories, uh, not just in the automotive world, but maybe in American history. Yeah, and, you know, we... we say this often as we do these uh, these history pieces, I guess, you know, these deep dives into brands and, and makes and models, is that, you know, we, we try to give you as much as we can, but there is so much more out there. There are so many more interesting little facts that are buried in these stories mm-hmm. that we just didn't have time to get to. You know, stories that involve the family, stories that involve um, property ownership and, and contracts and Oh, and, um, and youthful misbehavior. Yeah. I can't believe we... Oh, can I do that one just real quick? Why not? Throw it in there. That would be a good <laughs> thing to end on. How about that? All right, so uh, apparently John and Horace were both pretty big fans of the sauce in their uh, wilder days, and they both had a bit of a temper. I'm not going to say the stereotype about redheads is true, but they did have red hair. And uh, according to this anecdote, one day, apparently, John, who was hanging out at a bar, forced the bartender to dance on top of the bar counter uh, by threatening him with a gun. At gunpoint. At gunpoint, he forced up someone to dance. So uh, I wonder when this was in his career, because, you know, at some point you have a lot to lose, right? Yeah, I think this was early on. This may be before they actually ran into Henry Ford. Well, what is he acting like that for? I can't figure it out, because, you know, you think that that would, <laughs> it almost is like such a show of power. It'd be like somebody like, um, you know, just being a bully. You know, just just bullying somebody, feeling like you're on top of the world. You got all the money to throw at the problem or whatever. But again, if he was at that point, I would think that, you know, he would, again, have too much to lose. You know, that he would he would his reputation would precede him and he wouldn't be as successful in the business. I guess Ontario is just a crazy place, man. You know what? It still is a crazy place. (laughs) I've been there recently and it still is. And you know what? I love it. So we just wanted to to give you that one last story, and I'm sorry I've said one last thing three times. That's or something. right. And I mentioned Ontario. You know, you mentioned Ontario. Yeah, yeah. Crazy. Remember, I lived in Detroit. That's we're, right. We're near yeah. Detroit, and that's where you would go on the weekends to party. You would go oh. over into Ontario, Canada. Huh? Yeah, Windsor. I had no idea. So I wonder if all this was going down in Windsor. I'm not sure exactly where it happened, but uh, that can be a wild place. You know what? If you live in Windsor, let us know where the cool kids go. And also, while you're uh, on the Internet, check us out on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter and help us out with some topics for upcoming shows. What would you like to hear more about? You can email us directly. Our address is carstuff at howstuffworks.com.
For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. This episode brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Director Wes Ball breathes new life into the epic franchise. As a ruthless king attempts to build his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape begins a journey to fight for a future for apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Viking. Committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fairs. Discover more at Viking.com. You're a growing business, which means you need every spare hour you can find. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started.